0: morning, everyone. Uh, This morning's scripture is 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's holy word.
1: Another challenging passage... Challenging, hard words from the Apostle Peter. Last week, we looked at how Christians, even Christians who find themselves under oppression for the Lord's sake, uh, should show respect, honor, and submit to all authorities instituted uh, by human beings. Today, we have more hard words as Peter talks about marriage, uh, talks about the home. JT, thanks for sharing uh, that song about brokenness in the marriage relationship. I appreciate that. Uh, th- these are hard words, so, so we need grace and encouragement as we move forward. Marriage is the most important human relationship. If you're not married or if you have no intention of being married, that's okay. You're, you're no less of a person if you're not married. You're just as much of a person. You're just as much of a Christian if you're single. But marriage, for all of us, even for single people, marriage is the most important human relationship because it is, it is the relationship that best reflects the nature of our God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it should be no surprise that the fall of humanity occurred within a marriage relationship. You read all about it in Genesis chapter 3, that a husband... And his wife conspired together against their creator. And you read in Genesis 3 how their conspiracy against their creator in the garden devolved into a cursed dynamic. Where then husband and wife, Adam and Eve, and all of humanity since then to this day now conspire against each other for influence. And dominance and control in the home, in the relationship. And so this relationship that best can reflect the nature of our creator is the relationship in which conspiracy will breed discontent and contempt unless the grace of God intervenes. God brings his light to bear In a dark world through redeemed marriages. I hope we're going to see today through Peter's words that God transforms marriage from conspiracy to partnership. The grace of God makes marriage partners who would otherwise be conspiring against one another partners. What you see in Peter's words here are that spouses are to honor each other. In the church, spouses are to honor each other as equals before God. Now, there are some distinctions to that. But we begin to see that they are equals before God. Now, Peter stresses, if you go back to chapter 2, Peter's talking about honorable lifestyles. If Christians are exile ambassadors in a world and in a society that is not their own, They are to live honorably in all relationships. We are to respectfully honor our elected officials in government. We are to respectfully honor those who are in authority over us, as Peter says in in, in chapter 2. Now, in chapter 3, Peter's talking about husbands and wives, and he first addresses wives, and he says, Wives, honor your husbands, and he means by submission. He says in verse 1, Likewise, likewise is an important word because he's drawing back to what he said about Christians who find themselves in slavery and how they should be respectful towards those in authority over them and how all Christians should submit to governing authorities. So he's continuing this line of thought and now he's bringing it inside the home. And he says, likewise, wives, be subject to, to your own husbands. And again, that concept of being subject, he's assuming these are free people that he's talking to, out of your own will, freely submit yourself to another person. Now, why have you noticed that there are 6 verses of instruction dedicated to wives and only one verse dedicated to the husband? Do you notice that? The reason for that is because of the place in society that women held he gives attention to slaves because they, uh, they faced the possibility of injustice. He gives great attention to women, t- to wives, because of the possibility of wives facing injustice in that society. In the ancient West, in the Greco-Roman world, women were regarded as lesser human beings. Uh, they were regarded as inferior to men in every way. And so politically, socially, and economically, women had less rights If you were a woman, you were expected to worship whatever gods, polytheistic society, you were expected as a woman to adopt your husband's religion. You were expected as a woman to worship the gods of your husband. As a woman, in most cases, you could not have legal custody of your own children. It was because Christian women who were married to a non-Christian man It was because Christian women could not submit to their husband's non-Christian religion. It was because a Christian woman could not submit to an unbelieving husband's un-Christian faith that in all other matters, it was important to keep the peace. It was important to pursue peace. It was important for women who were married to non-Christian husbands to avoid unnecessary conflicts. And so Peter specifically is addressing women married to unbelievers. He says, be subject to your own husbands so that if some do not obey the word, think of the word as the gospel of truth, that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So Peter says that women in marriage are called to godly character that radiates this inner beauty. And he starts talking about uh, not worrying about adorning yourselves with jewelry and, 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 and your hair and, and, and what you wear. Now, he, he's, not banning, he's not banning makeup, ladies. He, he's, not, he's not banning the concept that, that, you should, that you should desire to look presentable and, 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 and look your best. He's not saying that. He's not saying it's a sin and, and disreputable to look good. What he is saying is that's not your identity. The way you look on the outside, your appearance, is not your identity. What God sees as most attractive is your heart. It was the teacher in Proverbs 31 who said, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. He goes on to say to young men in that chapter, listen. Who can find a woman of noble character? She's more precious than jewels. You know, in our body obsessed, in our image obsessed society, whether you're an aging woman or whether you're a young woman just trying to figure out who you are in the world, this is liberating. The idea that what God sees as precious and what God sees as beautiful and the foundation of your identity is your character is a beautiful heart. Carol Ruvolo said that uh, Christian wives should be more obsessed with their character than with their looks. And what Peter tells us is that God thinks that your free, willing submission to your husband as a leader is precious, is beautiful to God. And Peter says that some men will see this as beautiful also. And if you're married to a non-Christian man and he sees this as beautiful, you may even win him over to your faith. Maybe. Now, husbands are not off the hook. There's just one verse, but they're not off the hook. And I'm going to take just as much time talking to us guys. Husbands are to honor their wives by dignifying them. Husbands are to interact with their wives in such a way as to dignify them. Peter says in verse 7, likewise husbands. See, likewise, here we go again. He's putting husbands right back in into the game with everybody else that he's talking about. Husbands, live with your wives. In this translation, the ESV, it says, in an understanding way. Now, in the original language, those words mean... Live with your wives according to knowledge. What knowledge? According to your knowledge of who they are. And so we see here that husbands in the church, husbands in Christ are called to compassionate discernment for their wives' needs. It's not just about being a provider for your family. It's not just about being a physical protector for your family. It's about discerning with God's wisdom and with the compassion of the Holy Spirit, what the needs are of your wife, how she understands what is important. And he goes on to say, live with them in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, let's talk about being a weaker vessel. It doesn't mean weaker in giftedness. It doesn't mean weaker in skill. It doesn't mean weaker in intelligence. I believe God gives the same skills and gifts to both men and women. Different roles, the same abilities, the same skills and gifts. Weakness here, Peter, is talking about natural physicality, physiology, The reality that in most cases, uh, women are not as large and not as strong as men. It's that simple. It sounds awkward, but that's what he means. According to nature, women are in a position where they can be taken advantage of. Women, according to nature, according to pure physicality and genetics and biology, are more at risk for being the victims of injustice in a fallen world. If you're a father and you have, you have sons and daughters, you, you say to your boys, listen, I want you to look out for your sisters. I want you to take care of them. I want you to protect them, especially if I'm not around, right? Look out for your sisters and you're incensed when you see your boys hurting your daughters. And God says to men, hey, that's my daughter. Take care of her. Don't ignore her. You want me to ignore you? Well, don't ignore her. He goes on to say, that's not the the most important reason as to why husbands are called to live passionately discerning their wives' needs. There's a more important reason. Honoring them as the weaker vessels since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. There it is. That's the reason. This goes back to what we talked about last week. How is it that Peter could think that slaves, Christian slaves, were free people? Because of Galatians chapter 3, when the Apostle Paul says, if you've been baptized into Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 3, you are all heirs of According to the promise. Remember Peter opens up his letter by saying. You have been caused to be born again into a living hope. An inheritance kept in heaven for you. That is imperishable. That cannot be taken away from you. Because God is guarding it. He is guarding your inheritance and your identity in heaven. And nothing can change that. Well that's true whether you're a man in Christ. Or whether you're a woman in Christ. Whether you're a husband. Or whether you're a wife. You are heirs co-heirs of the promise. You may, God may have given us different roles in this world, but what is kept in heaven for us is the same inheritance. And Peter says, that's the basis, husbands, for how you should respect and honor your wives as equal heirs of your inheritance. And this dignifying attitude, guys, it seems to be the foundation of a man's prayer life since the opposite attitude appears to hinder our prayers. Doesn't he say that at the end of verse 7? So a man's compassionate discernment for his wife fuels effective prayer is the basis and the foundation for your ministry. As you pray for your family And for your community and for the world, your relationship with your wife, your attention to her needs, compassionate for her, is the foundation for how God responds to your prayer life and how he empowers and equips you for ministry. And for the woman, a woman's godly character promotes her witness. This is the highest view of marriage that I think you could find. Where people who were former conspirators vying for influence and vying for authority and vying for control of a relationship are actually able to regard one another as equals. Not the same roles, not the same job descriptions, but equal in identity as heirs of their heavenly father's promise. Marriage shines a light into the darkness. Christian marriage shines a light into the darkness. That's Peter's concern, right? That's Peter's concern in this passage. Your exiles, your aliens in a dark world live as lights. And people will see God's light in you as you interact with them in all circumstances. And your marriage could be the brightest light that you have. It could be. Now, we see current events, we see that refugees have a great impact on the society in which they come. Isn't it true, as as you look at the news, whether it's our own country or whether it's Europe right now or the Middle East, refugees have a tremendous, they're completely helpless, they're disenfranchised, they're homeless, and they don't have a place in society. And yet, as foreigners and aliens, they have a great impact On the society in which they enter, they impact borders, they impact legislation, they impact attitudes and opinions. Isn't that true? Well, as ambassador exiles of Jesus Christ, Peter is saying your marriages show a world that is suspicious and skeptical of Christianity. The true character of your Lord Jesus Christ refugees can have a tremendous impact. Peter's saying, let it have a good impact by how you regard one another as husbands and wives. And the foundation for this, I'm going to go back to the apostle Paul, his letter to the Ephesians. We read this together earlier today. Paul said, your attitude. Now, Paul's talking about greater unity in the church, but this applies to marriage also. This applies to our homes. Let your attitude be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you see, and and Paul does this later. um, He does this in the book of, did I say Ephesians This is Philippians, I put Ephesians up there, I'm sorry. This is Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. I'm getting my Paul marriage passages mixed up. Paul says in another place in Ephesians chapter five, uh, that the way husbands and wives relate to each other, it reflects a profound reality about the way God interacts with us. You see, in Christian marriage, both spouses you look at these words about Jesus, you see that in Christian marriage, both spouses have an opportunity to reflect the light of our savior. Here's how it happens. Tim and Kathy Keller in their book about marriage say this, that husbands lead sacrificially and wives submit sacrificially. Everybody makes sacrifices, but the husband... The husband leads sacrificially, and the wife submits sacrificially. How so? Well, look at the words up here. The wife surrenders her will, not considering her equality with her husband something to grasp for, something to take by force, something to take by manipulation. She knows that in Christ her identity is equal to her husband, but she doesn't try and prove that that equality. Uh, she doesn't need to prove her equality to her husband. The husband, on the other hand, surrenders his will by making himself nothing. And like Jesus by becoming a servant to his wife. Becky and I got married, we, we, we just wanted to be together. I mean that was kind of the big idea. We just have to be together. We we cannot get married sooner. And that's the beauty of getting married to somebody that you love. The big idea is you just want to be together. And you can't wait to be together. And you're not so much worried about what's going to happen in 10 years. You're probably not even worried about what's going to happen 10 days after getting married. Hopefully you're thinking about it. But the, the, the concept is let's, let's share a life together. Let's grow old together. Let's be together now. You just want to be together. Little did we know that our marriage... Wonderfully, joyfully, and painfully, and painfully, and painfully would sanctify us together and become painfully and joyfully the foundation of everything we do in life. Your marriage has to become the foundation of your work. Did you think about that? Your marriage has to become the foundation of your career. Your marriage becomes the foundation of all of your friendships. It becomes the foundation of your parenting. Your marriage becomes the foundation of your ministry. The Kellers also say in their book, God didn't design marriage to be an add-on to the rest of your life. Marriage isn't an add-on to your career. Marriage isn't an add-on to your personal identity. It's not an add-on to your freedom." And your autonomy—it's not an add-on to your image of yourself. And if you think of marriage as an add-on, you will be in for a lot of trouble, because God didn't—he didn't design it as an option. He didn't design it as an appendaged feature. He designed it as—it's the main show. It's the main package. God designed marriage to be the point of your life. If you're married. So Christians are free, free, as they submit to one another. Christians are free to pursue marriage as equal partners in mutual submission. I said last week that only a truly free person has the ability to submit. Only freedom enables you to truly submit as Christianity describes submission. Well, it it goes the same within a marriage. Husbands, wives, you are free to pursue your relationship together as equal partners of mutual submission. You are not enslaved to compete for authority and responsibility and influence. So shouldn't we be concerned with abuse and with this? We're all dysfunctional to some degree. Shouldn't we be concerned about dysfunctional marriages and dysfunctional relationships and injustice within the marriage and injustice within the home? Of course, we should be concerned. But we shouldn't be afraid. I want to talk about fear because fear in marriage deadens its light. And Peter alludes to this. Peter mentions Sarah, Abraham's wife. Book of Genesis. And and he he praises Sarah's faith for submitting to her husband Abraham and for calling him Lord. Now, that freaks us out in our culture, doesn't it? I don't know of a single woman who calls her husband Lord. Even with a a lowercase l, I don't know of a single situation. You only see it there. There's a reference in Genesis chapter 18 where God tells Sarah, you're going to have a kid. And she laughs in disbelief. And she says, am I going to have that pleasure while my Lord and I are old? Now, that's a paraphrase. In, in their culture, that was not an oppressive. It was That term was not a sign of oppression and injustice. It was a sign of respect to authority. And so Peter says, wives, you'll be blessed um, if... If, if you're like her, you know, if, if you show respect and submission, but he's, I want to point out something he says when he's talking about Sarah, he says, you'll, if you'll be blessed if you do good. And as the NIV translation puts it, and do not give way to fear. Things will go well in our marriages if we do not give way to fear. And this isn't just for, for gals. This is for guys too. Sarah was afraid of remaining childless. Sarah wasn't perfect. Neither was Abraham. If you read Genesis chapter 16, there's this amazing account of what actually happened when both of them gave way to fear. Sarah was afraid that she would die childless without an heir. Sarah was getting more and more afraid that God would not fulfill his promise to them to give them a son. And in fear, Sarah took matters into her own hands. She manipulated her husband, who abdicated his responsibility in the home and in the household. And together, they abused one of their employees. And as you read the book of Genesis, and as you look at the history of the the nation of Israel... That consequence of fear, them allowing fear to rule them in their home and in their marriage, the consequences of that were catastrophic for their children and grandchildren and for their ancestors for generations to come. You know, our world conditions us to fear losing ourselves when we submit to another person. Even if you're a Christian, you have, you, you, you have been conditioned to some degree by a secular society. The world that is not your home conditions people to fear losing yourself for the benefit of another person. Women, I want to ask you a question. Are you afraid that submission in your marriage will rob you of your identity? Guys, I want to ask us a question. Are we afraid that sacrifice will rob us of our freedom? I don't just mean rolling up your sleeves and bringing home a paycheck. I mean in every way, with your free time, with what you do with your money, with the influence by which your actions and non-actions Control your family environment. Are you afraid that sacrifice as a way of life in the home will rob you of your freedom and autonomy? But the gospel tells us that you don't lose either your identity or your freedom if you do marriage God's way. And if you pray for married people and for Christian families in this church and in our society to do marriage God's way, The Bible tells us we don't lose our freedom. We don't lose our identity by submitting to one another. That's how we gain our identity. Submission gives you identity and gives you freedom. And here's the proof of it. Jesus fulfilled both roles perfectly. Perfectly. We can't, appoint a, we can't point, a, whether you're a man or a woman, and you don't like what Peter's saying, you can't point a finger at a God who submits to both roles perfectly. Jack made a comment last week. He said, I don't know if Jesus would be willing to put his name on any political nation. And I thought that was an important comment. I will tell you, Jesus, there is one group of people That Jesus absolutely put his name on. And it's not a political nation, it's the church. As far as I read the Bible and understand things, the only group of people that the Lord Jesus Christ puts his name on is the church. And it's very personal to him. They're not just his people, he calls the church his bride. Like in Hosea, I will make you who were unfaithful to me, my own. And I will betroth you to myself. And then Jesus, the son of God, calls the church, the body of Christians all over the place. And throughout time and throughout the world, he calls us his bride. The bride for whom he submitted to the will of his heavenly father, which brought about his death. The bride whom he serves sacrificially. By giving himself up for her. And the purpose is to make us holy. Is it, see, that's the thing. Is Jesus submits and Jesus makes the sacrifice as the leader. To make the church holy. That's the dynamic. That's the point. Jesus submits to sacrificial service. And surrenders to the will of his heavenly father to make his bride beautiful. That's the point of submission. The point of submission is not slavery. The point of submission is not oppression in God's economy. The point of submission in God's economy is glory and holiness and forgiveness and reconciliation. You see, the world has it upside down. And Peter is helping us to see we've got to come into the light and see our marriages from the right side up. Kathy Keller writes, If a wife's role in relation to her husband is analogous to the church's submission to Christ, then we have nothing to fear. If what Peter means is that husbands should treat their wives the way Christ treats the church, then women have nothing to fear in Christ. If marriage means that husbands are to surrender themselves and lead by sacrificial service the way Christ serves the church sacrificial, guys, we have nothing to fear as we consider losing our own freedom and preferences for the sake of our brides. And so grace, you've heard this, grace is this. God gives you favor that you don't deserve, right? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he gives you forgiveness and reconciliation. Well, wives, give your husbands, here's the point. Wives, give your husbands what they don't deserve. Your respectful submission. You're right, we don't deserve it. But God gave you what you didn't deserve. Now you go and give your man what he doesn't deserve. Your respectful submission. And husbands, give your wives what their sins don't deserve. Your respect. Your admiration. Your honor. As we give one another what our sins don't deserve, we reflect the truth and the glory and the grace of our creator. And that's how your marriage will reflect the Savior's light. Things are happening in, in um, gender and marriage in our culture so that as, as you think about your kids growing up, as you think about your grandkids growing up, you start wondering, well, what, what, will, what will their understanding of marriage be? What will their understanding of gender be? What, what will it look like for them 20 years from now or 50 years from now, right? Right? I'll tell you right now, this is what they need to know. That God's grace transforms marriage from a conspiracy to a partnership. You know, supporting legislation, let's talk a little bit about politics and, and social activism. Supporting legislation, or working against legislation regarding the definition of marriage in our country, that's, that, that could be one way of promoting God's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair, that's fine. But you know a better way? A better way of promoting God's perspective is to show our society what grace-filled marriages actually look like. Don't, before we worry about defining what a marriage actually is, let's show them what a marriage is supposed to look like. I don't think there's any louder witness than that. And your kids and your grandkids, regardless of what the legislation looks like in the next 30 years, they will know what a real marriage is as you live it as you allow the grace and light of your savior jesus christ to enable you to not live in fear and respect one another and submit to one another and give yourselves to give yourselves sacrificially to one another your marriage can be the first place that somebody sees the light of the gospel a friend a neighbor maybe your own children will see the light of the gospel for the first time by how you relate to one another. Let's pray. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Father, for us in our homes and with our marriages, may it be so. Thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we live and submit and honor and serve in his name. Amen.